Today's reading is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So we've seen witnesses witness this morning of love, commitments of love. The dedication of a child, the welcome of new staff members, a pastor's commitment to God and to the church. And all of these things that we've celebrated together come from the deepest part of our being, from love. You know, we remember that these are pictures of something we've received from God. And then we turn around and live it out in genuine community. So today we might rightly ask ourselves, well, how do I love? How does that, what does that look like? You know, if, you, if I said to if I asked you of any age, who do you love? You could make a list perhaps, right? Your children, your parents, most of the time, right? <laughs> uh, your friends, your spouse. We can make a list of who we love. But we recognize even in doing that, that how we love is important too. Because we know, we know in ourselves, even in the commitments we make, that there still is a draw of self, a draw toward what we want, a draw towards our own well-being and stature. And so we've been in this series called Genuine Community in the book of 1 John. And today we're going to talk about two sides of love. Two sides of love. John's first letter in the New Testament, it's full of descriptions of love. It's one of its main themes. But even in these grand um, words that John uses in 1 John, he makes it come up close and personal. This is not just theology for the mind. This is theology for our practice. Lived out in real relationships. And so we've been asking in this series, what does it look like to live in genuine community in the way of love. So if you have your Bibles with me, with you, as I didn't have with me, a good thing I had it on the chair, I encourage you, whether it's in print form or digital and you at home, to open it. We're going to take a look at 1 John 12, 2, excuse me, the passage that Izzy read for us this morning. And we're going to be talking about these two sides of love that John refers to here. There is both a love for God, a positive side of love, that our love for God that flows out to love for others, and then there's an other side of love, a love for the world. You know, every conversation we ever could have about love, whether it's love that the world describes or within the church, it is all based on God. 
God is the one that gives us love. The Father pours it out on us first, and we respond. And so John comes back again and again to this theme in his book. And you heard one of them from Pastor Nancy this morning, but I just want to share some of these lovely reminders why we even can love. John tells us in his gospel that in his letter, that we are loved. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what you are. And then in 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then in John 4, 6, 1 John 4.16, we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Any inclination you and I have to love is based on the character of God himself because love received becomes love expressed. So I want you to soak in that reality. I mean, we, we hear these scriptures, and you know, sometimes we know them, and we've said them aloud. Can you soak in that reality again? Wherever you are this morning, however you came into this space, or um, at home as you gather, connect with us, remember you are loved. And we've said it before, but it is a wonderful reminder that bears repeating. Hear this for yourself. I receive it for myself this morning. Nothing you can do can make God love you any more than he does right now. And nothing you ever do can make God love you less than he does right now. So that is the place we come to this uh, discussion of two sides of love. John's crystal clear. He says, we receive love, then we express it back to God, and always, always, it's tied to love for others. There is no way we can say we love God if, not, if we don't say we love others. If you have your Bibles, you might look back with me to verses 7 through 11 of the second chapter of 1 John. Because I just want to go back and look at this, what this commendable side of love is. John says it's both an old command and a new one. Old because God's been the source of love all along. New in that Jesus came and exhibited love to us. Lived it out. And sometimes we hear this. He's talking about a command. He says in verse 7, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've heard from the beginning. This is the command to love. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear the word command, it's like, ugh. It's like, okay. Grit your teeth, a little effort on my part. What can we do? But this is not the picture that John has as he thinks about the love of God because we've received love. And so the command is less what we have to do as much as who we are. This is a a quote that I found this week, and I loved it, from Earl Palmer, who was a, a pastor for a long time in Seattle. He says it this way, We do not have the command to love as much as we experience in Jesus Christ the love that commands. If we don't know Jesus Christ, then then the call to love is just a command, a duty. And yet, if we've received this good gift of love from God, we can love others. 
And then he gets real specific in John, in verses 9 through 11. What does that look like in real close-up relationships? Love expressed. It says, you can't claim to love God. You can't say, I love God, if you hate or don't love others. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. You can't claim to be a person of Jesus' way if you do not love others. Now, we've heard this before. It's an, it's an old and new command. But the word here, hate, is really strong. It says to detest or abhor someone. Hate for others. It's, it's being in the dark. It's, it's letting darkness in. Now, you might notice here in these verses that John refers to brother and sister. And we know that Jesus said, love your neighbor. Some have taken this passage to say, I only have to love people in the church. Which, honestly, is hard enough, right? There we go. I mean, we're just as fallen and broken as any person in the world. But no, John is just saying, this call is still to love your neighbor. To love all people. He just brings it up very close and says, this is your brother. This is your sister. These are the people that you share communion with. These, this is up close kind of love. So what might that look like for us? For us who, um, we wouldn't say, well, we hate anyone, right? But I would challenge us to consider how Perhaps our own speech, our attitudes, the way we look at others might reveal hate creeping in. A couple questions for you. When we demean others for their point of view, aren't we allowing hate to grow in our hearts? When we exclude others for their variety of sins while expecting forgiveness and grace for our own sins, Aren't we letting darkness creep in and hate have a foothold? I think that the lack of civility and kindness in our culture, in our everyday reactions, is a warning to us, not just to point at others, but to, our, to look at ourselves and say, has the darkness of hate shadowed my perspective? Has it crept in in the way I treat others? I want to give you a personal example of this. And my husband isn't here today, but I asked his permission that I could share this because it's about both of us from our lives. L.A. and I have walked together in a several years dispute with some members of his extended family. It led to a suit that was filed against us, which ended in a settlement but that was not in our favor. And it has been hard to not allow hate to grow in our hearts. We have had to remind each other and purposefully do this in our prayer time to say, Jesus loves them as much as he loves me. Jesus forgives them as much as he does me. And so we have committed to, and I think it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. But it is the choice as followers of Jesus, if we've experienced the love of Christ, that we extend that no matter what. Because otherwise the darkness can easily take over. And of course we know when it does, it hurts us as much as probably more than it hurts others. 
John says it this way again. Whoever hates his brother or sister is in the darkness. And that darkness can easily blind us. It's a measurement of your following of Jesus. It's a concrete test. You profess faith in Jesus. Do you love others? Is there hate growing in your heart in any way? So we're called to love God first and then to love others. And the second side of this, two sides of love, that the scripture that was read for us is not a commendation of love, but a warning about love. A warning that it actually there is a love that God condemns. And there it is in this verse, chapter, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now you read that and you think, oh, didn't Jesus say God so loved the world that he gave, right? We know that one. How can it say do not love the world when it says we're supposed to, Jesus, God loves the world. Well, you know that term world is translated in many different ways, cosmos, and it could be referring to a government, the universe, creation, people. But here in this context, and we'll see that in just a minute, in this context, it's referring to the world's Systems, The world systems that are organized around Satan's realm, around evil, against God's priorities and God's principles. And so when it says, do not love the world, it's pretty clear what that is referring to. Let's look at these three examples that are listed there in verse 16. Let's see if we can get there. Love for the world, what's it look like? The lust of the flesh. Or as some translations say, the cravings, cravings, doesn't that just have an earthy feel to it, of, of, of sinful people. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life, or the boasting about what someone has done or has. These are strong words. We think of lust so many times just in sexual terms, but it means passion or strong desire. It often can even be translated as anger. It's something deep in us. And pride, arrogance, pretense, all the ways we try to posture ourselves. We think of it this way, love for the world and the lust of the flesh is a place of saying, I desire to do something apart from the will of God. That's what the lust of the flesh is. I want to do something that is different than what God's will is. Lust of the eyes, I desire to have something that is different than what God wills for my life. And the pride of life, a desire to be something apart from what God wills for us. Lust of the flesh, let me say it again, the desire to do something apart from the will of God. Lust of the eyes, a desire to have something apart from the will of God. And the pride of life, the desire to be something apart from the will of God. And you and I need to be honest and say we've all been tempted in this way. We're drawn in by this love for the world to have, to do, to be, standing in opposition to what God wants. We can invest our thoughts, our time, our attention toward what we love. You know, love motivates us either for good or for evil. And if you do love the world, there are some rewards in this. For what you do and have and be. Yeah. 
there's rewards to be gained. Maybe it's some prestige, some status, lots of things, honor, comfort, ease. The world system knows how to reward its lovers. Yet, what this scripture is saying and warning us of, of not loving the world, is that the Father's love cannot be in us. We cannot be in the Father if we love the world. And as it says, it's a dead end. It's a dead end to love the world. You know, in his book, a wonderful book that um, I, I would recommend to you called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith, he writes about this motivating impact of love. We say we love God. We say we love others. But it's not always easy to recognize the ways our hearts are being drawn to love rival gods, to love the world in a different way, instead of the one for whom we've been made Father, Son, and Spirit. Smith in his book describes love not just as a feeling or even, we've heard love talked about as a conscious choice. It is that, but not exclusively. He talks about it as a baseline inclination, what we desire at that deep craving level, a default orientation that determines the choice we make. And so he has this quote, love is like autopilot, orienting orienting us, without our even thinking about it. We just go towards what we love. I think of the commitments that Mark and Lauren made this morning and Mark's ordination vows to love God and love his church. Those loves will orient what they do. In their best days, they don't have to think about, do I love Trey or do I not love him? They will act and purpose and have habits in their life that live out that love. And it's the same in a call to the church. We commit, we have a heart towards God and others that impacts the way we act. We learn to love. This is the way Smith says it in another place. We learn to love not primarily by acquiring information about what we should love, but rather through practices that form the habits of how we love. So there you have it, two sides of love. Love for God that automatically extends to love for others or love for the world. What do your habits and practices reveal about how you love? Is love for the world winning out? Oh, it does in all of our lives, doesn't it? Every once in a while where we want to do or have or be something that is not in God's good way. Or will we go back to these truths about who God is? The love he has for us that spills out to love for others. Soak it in. Remember God's love lavished on you. And then it spills out in the way we love others. This is really a high and holy calling for all of us who say we love Jesus. And it's practiced in really real ways like forgiveness and gentleness, grace, and welcome, and listening, and truth-telling, all of it, love. So I encourage you, friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, to lean into the side of love that God commends and to take a warning from the side of love that God condemns. May we love wholeheartedly. May it orient our beings 
there's a promise in this too as we end this. And John says it this way. The world's going to pass away. Its desires are going to pass away. You can love it all you want and it will not last. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. That is a promise you can bet your life on. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, the gift of your love can't be measured. We remember the scriptures and we hold fast to them, but it is even more expansive than our minds and hearts can grasp. But we stand in this place of lavish love from the Father. And, Lord, we desire for that love to flow out to our brothers and sisters. Guard us, Lord, against loving the world against leaning toward things that will not last, of giving our hearts and our orientation towards something that is not in your best way. Lord, we need your spirit to help us do this. So as we walk in love, we trust that you will show us the best way. We pray it in the powerful name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.